Let's turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the uh, third chapter, the first six verses. If you do not have a Bible, uh, one is being walked around right now, raise your hand and a Bible will be brought to you. And so we uh, would love you to uh, be able to open up the Word of God with us. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you got your place, uh, then let's uh, go to the Lord before we read it. Heavenly Father, as we come in the presence of your word, Lord, may we do it with a humble heart. May we do it with an expectant heart, believing that you're going to speak louder than the speaker, that your spirit will move greater uh, than any human conviction, and that, Lord, you, your presence in this place uh, will teach us more than anything uh, could be taught anywhere else. We love you and we trust you for the fact that you're here uh, to speak to us. And so, Lord, open our hearts to your word. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Verse 6 verses say this in Peter. It says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over by word, without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your life. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as in elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abram, Abraham, and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inspired word. Amen, amen. You know, we live in an incredible era. Why is it in a society that one of the main questions that sits at the top of people's minds or the top of the culture's mind is, what is a woman? I don't get that. It hurts my heart because, because I believe that the reason we're asking the question is because, because we have forgotten our identity. We've forgotten our identity of women, of who created you. The identity of the fact that it was God's hands that, that formed you in your own mother's womb and his great love and intimacy for you um, was wrought there. And that that is where you find who you really are. Well, it was the same thing in Peter's time. Not that they were asking this question, but that there was a, a great destruction against, 
uh, what God had set up in Peter's time, if you remember, Nero was the, uh, was the uh, ruler, and believers were under a great oppression. And underneath that oppression, the constructs that God had put in place as Christianity, the things that were built up and what make um, Christian society important, were being undermined. And so you have to understand something. There is a great persecution that's going on right now. And it, it's, it has started um, out of culture against Christianity. It is, it is something that is trying to quiet Christianity down so that culture can direct and guide the movement of the culture into its own beliefs, into its own ideologies, into its own structure. And it happened in Peter's time too. In chapter two, the contextual of what of what Peter was talking about in the in the thirteenth verse, it says that submit yourselves uh, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And so and so Peter is teaching about the fact that we don't become rebellious people in the midst of this, but that there is something else going inside of our hearts that keep us, even in the midst of a society that is, uh, is going uh, against God, we maintain our faith, keep walking in the assurance of our faith. The second thing that he shows us, so, so the, the society was the first, the, the second one is in the workplace. Verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your master, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And so in the midst of a society that is degrading into evil, not only is in that um, societal uh, area is it, is it degrading, but also in the workplace. And some of you might say amen to that. I've seen that. But in the midst of that, we work with reverent fear to God. And so he comes to the third one, which is family. And if you notice in here, um, the first seven verses of chapter three are for you ladies. Why is that? Because you like to feel what somebody says. You like to experience it. Because if you can feel it and experience that truth, it becomes your heart. I mean, you were made that way, you're nurturers. Why wouldn't you be? But notice that the guys, and I haven't read it yet, but you guys, are it's coming. Um, it, there's, just, there's just one verse. Why is that? Because guys just need it direct. Say it to me. Say it loud. Say it right. And I'll do it. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah, well, not always. But yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way guys receive it. Right? Right? Commanding officer says, go, fight. Yes, sir. I'm gone. That's what we're supposed to do. And so that is how he's written. And so in this, in this construct, in this thing, it's, it's, we come to this family and, uh, and we, just, um, we just hear uh, that under all this attack, we need to hear from the Lord again um, a simple truth um, that um, if you destroy the family, you destroy society, you destroy the world. And so you people under this um, hear uh, that the Lord desires 
your victory in your family, and especially as you come, um, as, as you as women. Your job is amazing. The nurture of the family. People, you have to understand, I wouldn't be standing up here if it wasn't for my mom. My mother was the first one to tell me about Jesus Christ. She witnessed Christ to me. I came from a background, um, my, my biological mother committed suicide. That's the kind of background I came from. But my adopted mother told me about Jesus. You women have a tremendous responsibility, and I just, I, I hope that you feel lifted up and encouraged, um, and that today, um, um, that you will experience just the beauty of it. Um, and so, why is your job so important? Why is it so important uh, of, the, of, of the fact of, of the call that you have on your life? Malachi 2.15 says this, Has not God made you, uh, the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. And he's talking to husbands. Do not be unfaithful to, your, to the wife of your youth. But also the fact that, that we need to realize that that calls on us all. God is desiring holy offspring. He is the God of all generations. And whether you're a single mom, whether you're a, whether you're a mom that yet not, has not yet experienced having a child in your life or you've lost a child, the call is the same. The call is the same. You're called to be holy because he is holy and you're called to pass that on to the next generation. Now, I find it interesting as this passage starts out, it says wives in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, first of all, in the same way that Peter is calling them in society, in the workplace, under authority, to, to live, you also submit. You also submit. Now, I want you to know something interesting. In the transitional period between what he talks about with society and what he talks about with the workplace, he gives an amazing example of true submission. In the midst of all this, he goes, wait a minute, let me remind you of someone who submitted. And you look at chapter 2, verse um, 21, it says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So the first thing I want you to know when you hear the word submit is the picture of what Christ did. That he submitted in, in the midst of the most horrific abuse that could ever be laid on any human being. He did not retaliate. He did not say a word. He submitted to his father's will and walked into it. And that then becomes the foundation for us as women, include, not include myself, but encouraging you, that that is the same attitude that we should have. 
of Christ Jesus in the fact that he did not hurl insults, he did not retaliate. When he suffered and he made no threats, he entrusted himself to the one, listen, who judges justly. Can you dare to believe, no matter what injustice that you've experienced, no matter what life experience you have gone through, that there is one who judges justly, that there is one who someday will bring account, listen to me, to every action, to every deed, to every, every attitude, everything. Nothing, you can't hide anything from him. And that he will bring justice to it. Religious people say, absolutely, I believe that. And it doesn't change their mind at all. People in relationship with God, that humbles their heart. And it makes them look inside their own heart to say, where am I at? Where am I at? Is my heart truly humbled before God? Today's a great day for that. In the same way, in the same way. So submission is trusting God as you trust and walk together. Now this becomes obvious in one way. What is that next way? This becomes obvious, right? It says, submit yourselves to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over by a lot of grumbling. Known by constant, by constant nagging, by, that's not what it says. Oh, well, let me read it. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Huh. Now, I want you to know one thing. It doesn't mean not the word of God. No, 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 no. This is not a I don't need to share the gospel pass. That's a lie. That's a lie. That is, God is always, it's his plan that the gospel comes through our mouth. So women, not that. But it's the whole idea of, of the fact that, um, and, and, you know, that, that, that it's not going to be by your, your persistent communication and getting after your husband that's going to change his life, but that as he observes the gospel through your heart, as he sees what the gospel has done in here to you. Because I'm telling you what, when the gospel hits the heart of a woman, there is a beauty that comes out of her that cannot be measured by an outside view. It is something that just comes out of a being, and it is a confidence and a stay at two of this, and we'll get into this, it is a perseverance, there is a love, there is an amazing effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? You know this, right? What is the effect of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, right? I mean, come on, you know the nine? Right? Faithfulness, goodness, self-control. These are all supernatural powers. It, right? They're not tangible. It's not like you, you know, it's not like your wallet fills up or that, you know, your car, your, your truck becomes a 2023. It's not a tangible thing. 
It's what happens in your heart. It's, it's the movement of God's spirit that absolutely transforms and changes you from the inside out. It's supernatural. You can't make it happen. It is all of God. And, and, so, and so that is, so, so, um, and, 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 and there's, a, there's a beauty of oneness that comes out of it. In, in Galatians 3, uh, 28 says that, that with the gospel, there's no, longer, um, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all are one in Christ. What's the biggest issue today going on in the family? Are you, I mean, are you kidding me? The church reflects the culture. We have just as many divorced people in the church as we do outside. Why? Because we have forgotten that it's the gospel that changes the heart, that transforms the church, that transforms the family and the life of everyone. But this is also... What's so important about this, about the communication part of it, is the fact that, um, is the fact that, that God said um, in the curse of a woman that your natural tendency is going to be to take the place of the man. When the man's screwing up, men, any of us ever just like screw up, make a mistake, just struggle sometimes with making right decisions? Well, I'm not getting a lot of volunteering here. I just, you know, what's going on there? I mean, you know, leave me up here alone. <laughs> Don't leave me up here. It's right. And these are the times where that communication is so important because immediately your, your sinful flesh wants to take over the position of your husband, your boyfriend, and nagging becomes the result of that. And so, um, um, in the midst, I, I, pray for Sue. I cannot tell you how many bad mistakes her husband has made. It's uncountable. I, if you know him, pray for him too. I pray for him every day. It's just amazing, but this is, the, this is the thing. See, to nag is to annoy by continual scolding, fault-finding, complaining because one has determined something hasn't been done and he isn't doing it. The dictionary says that it's like a toothache. The Bible says it's like a consi consistent dripping of a leaky roof. And so that is what God is trying to get at. Now, I have an amazing example of that to a woman that I only met once. And it was when I was 12 years old and I went up to the door and knocked and I said, can Susie come out and play? When I met my wife for the first time, uh, I, I'd asked my mother-in-law if she could come out and play. Sue went home. So I can remember that as though it was yesterday. But that woman lived a constant, loving, caring, consistent, gospel-like life in the light of a husband who did not go to church, who, who, who just didn't live his life for the Lord. Now, he did read the Bible around the table, and he did pray. But this, this was the constant uh, Sunday um, before his conversion. He would take Ruth, his name was Ben, Ben would take Ruth to church, he would come home, he would make the meal, 
get it all ready, and then after Sunday school, he would pick Ruth up from church and go back home. And that was their life for many years. After Sue was born, uh, a pastor of the church came over, shared the good news of Jesus Christ with him. After Sherry was born, shared the good news of Jesus Christ with, um, uh, with him, and he began his life with the Lord. And he became a leader in the church and a pillar. A pillar. Because, not because of a nagging wife who kept after him saying, you need Jesus, but with a wife who prayed, who was consistent, who stayed, um, who stayed on task. And uh, his life was changed forever. And that was the man I met. That was the man I met. And he blessed my life. And so, it's not going to be um, with, with, with words but by your behavior, when they see your purity and reverence of your lives. Purity and reverence are held in check when there's confidence in the one who gives the gifts. They do. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. Remain in me and my word remain in you and you can do all things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's absolute truth. Absolute truth, whether you're a teenager or whether you're um, 93 years old, doesn't matter. Our total connection and, and holding is in him. You see, the Holy Spirit itself brings an incorruptible, an Im- imperishable, and an immortal beauty that fills every believer. And what does he fill them with? Listen to me. It's right here. It's right here. Your beauty should not come from an outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyle and wearing of clothes, jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, an unfading beauty of what? Listen, a gentle, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Great worth. So what is a gentle spirit? A gentle spirit is, means to keep one seat undisturbed and tranquil. Gentleness is the inner confidence that um, to not let the flow of drama in the world lead your life or crowds to lead you. It is a woman who can stand steady under fire without wavering under trial. It takes the insults and the abuse thrown at her and builds integrity out of them instead of hurt and pain. It is a woman who can stay in her lane, not let anything move her, because her satisfaction is in Jesus and in nothing else. That is a gentle spirit and a gentle heart. A quiet spirit is one that is defined as mildness of disposition and meekness. Now, meekness is defined as power under control. You can stay calm. You can stay meek, because in Christ, you know you have the strength to go through it. It's not a woman thinking she has enough strength for the journey, but the spirit to realize that it's in the journey where she will become strong. I kind of wish that there'd be some women right now that would give testimony to that because isn't that true? You, you, I mean, you look at your life. It hasn't always been easy. But in the midst of the journey, haven't you seen your life growing? This is one indication of it. There was something in your life that you thought to yourself, I don't think I can ever get by this. Anybody? 
I, I, th- this, is, this is more than what I can handle. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate guys raising their hand because, you know, this is for guys and gals. But, but yes, where is that today? Gone. Why? Because Jesus was your strength to go through it. And what has happened to your life? You have become stronger in the midst of it. Not the part of it, but because of it, you have become somebody different. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? That is how we grow. We don't grow because we don't have trials. We grow that in the midst of trials, he shows him to be the overcomer of those trials. And in the midst of that, we become different. And it's in the midst of the storm, not apart from the storm. You believe Psalm 72, uh, 12 through 14, it says, For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Precious is your life in their sight. Precious. I have been ruined by that word because of Lord of Rings. I hear his voice every time I hear precious. And yet, in one instance, could we really look at God as the fact that that is what he is, what you are to him. That his love for you has, has even so overwhelmed himself that he can only love you. And he can only show you love. And he sees you as precious. Come on, people. That was for somebody here. There's been so much abuse in relationship, so much hurt in families, but there's times we go, we go through life and we just don't believe that to be true. We're so overcome by the abuse that we can't see the God who has loved you through it. Yes, he could have stopped it. But why didn't he? Because in the midst of it, he's your salvation through it. And the end of the story isn't the abuse. The end of the story isn't this life on earth. The end of the story is forever with him. And that this life is but a drop in the bucket. And we need to start getting that perspective back again. We've lost it in this world. As we come to verse 5 and verse 6, we really come to the center of the message today. The, the, the characteristics that we've been talking about really come around a name that is, is called out in these names, in these verses. It says, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their tr- hope in God used to adorn, ordain them, um, or adorn themselves. It's an important word, adorn, adorn. I can't ever say it. It's that important. It, 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 it's what do you put on every day? 
What do you wear in the midst of your trouble? What is it that, that shrouds your heart as you're going through this life? If it's your abuse, then you're adorned with an inability to go on. And, and, and COVID has done a beautiful thing to give you a place for that. It's in isolation. So why don't I just isolate myself? Why don't I just kind of hide from all this? That is not what God wants for you. He said, yeah, I, I, I focused on a, on a passage for our uh, core team yesterday on, from Revelation um, 3 uh, to the church of Philadelphia. And he says, I know this about you. You have little strength. And it's not a put down. It's actually an encouragement what we consider as little strength is sometimes what keeps us buried underneath our abuse and under the things in the, of this life. But what he's, saying is, what he's saying is if you have faith of a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed in the world, and, and you, you act on that faith, you can tell a mountain to jump in the lake and it will. You have more strength in me in the littleness than you ever will in the life that you're living. Stop looking at your life and determining your strength by what you see in the flesh and what you think you cannot do. Believe this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it will change your life. It'll put your feet in the right direction. It'll move you. And that is what? Adorning means, what have I adorned myself with? You, Some of you ladies have, I just really appreciate, I noticed that Judy has a beautiful dress on today. In fact, her husband wants to brag about that a little bit. And what I heard was that she has a matching dress for her child with a little headband. And so someday they're going to come together looking like mom and daughter, right? It's wonderful. That's great. I love that adorning with a beautiful new dress. But people of God, we must be adorned with faith. We must be adorned with a confidence that in Jesus Christ, nothing can get in our way. Nothing. Nothing can get in our way. That his strength is enough for whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through. And so we're introduced to this woman, Sarah, whose name first was Sarai. Sarai. Sarai comes from the common root of Israel and means that she strives, is contentious, a strife-ridden person, full of dispute, controversy, and wrangling irritation. Put that on your next resume. Yes. That is Sarai. Now, is there a reason why she... Do you believe people live out their names? I, 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 I don't think that it's by chance we're named. I have no idea. I, my name means wagon maker. Why are you laughing about that? It, in the modern, it means builder. Yes. Am I living that out as I share the gospel 
I pray that the Holy Spirit is building something within us. I'm not here to play games. I'm not here to, um, you know, to just do religion. I'm here because I believe that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is building something. I believe that with all my heart, and I hope you do too. But she is a contentious, strife-ridden person, full of dispute, controversy, and wrangling, irritation. And you, Why is that? I mean, do you guys know the life of Sarah? In Genesis 11, the 29th through the 30th verse, it says that the first words about Sarah is this. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. In that day, a woman's identity was based on having a child. And when a woman was unable to have a child, they felt like their purpose was nothing. It was the highest honor of a woman to conceive. And in fact, it goes back to Eve because when she bore a child, uh, well, no, why Adam even called her Eve was because he was calling her what? Say it again. Yes, mother of all living. That's right. And so that went back to that. But not only was she not able to have a child, but also in, in Genesis 12, they took off for a land of Canaan. Now for us today, if we go to, like the Aguirre family went to Florida, that's not a big deal, right? We're taking a little trip, we're going down to see some sites, we, we have a hot tub, we have a pool, we have all these. When, when it, the Bible says that they took off for Canaan, what basically you could put in the place of that was they took off to death. Because the people's societal uh, life was built on the fact that they went into dad's um, business and they stayed close as a family and they built um, communities and cities based around family. And when somebody would leave and go to another place, literally they, they walked in death. And so they had to trust God for that. Literally life-sustaining God as they moved out into uh, Canaan. What happened when they got to Canaan? Jay, what happened when they got to Canaan? What broke out? A famine. Have, have you ever lived your life where you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm following you, I'm trusting you, and then everything seems to fall apart? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that they get to Canaan, they obey God, and a, a, a famine breaks out. The very thing that says you follow God, you're going to be destroyed. And what do you do? He boogie to Egypt. What does that mean? It means not trusting God, but trusting the flesh. If you ever, if you ever see in the Bible, um, you know, I want to return to Egypt like the Israelites and stuff like that, they're basically saying we want to go back and we want to trust in ourselves, we want to trust in you. How many times have you returned to Egypt? How many times have you lived your life basing your trust on yourself and not on God? That's what you're saying, virtually. And so a famine was, was, uh, broke out. And then, in verse 11 through 20, it talks about the, this event in which they get to Egypt and, uh, and Abraham, Abram says this. 
hey, you're a beautiful woman, Sarai. Um, and Pharaoh's probably going to want you, and he might kill me to have you. So why don't you call yourself my sister? Deception. Pharaoh brought him into uh, the harem, and God inflicted a disease on him. In chapter 16 of Genesis, um, Sarah believed the promise, but she thought she had to take things in her own hands. So she gave Hagar, who came from Egypt, into um, Abraham's uh, hands as his wife, and uh, Ishmael was born out of that. The whole um, uh, Iranian, uh, the whole Arabian um, community, Arabs were, were born out of that, out of that. Um, and so, so Sarah lived out her name when the circumstances of life made her feel like something was wrong with her, when it seemed like all her resources were taken away, even the very life substance needed to survive um, uh, their stripping away. She became strife-ridden when her plans backfired on her, even when she was trying to bring God's promise forward. Because if you remember with Hagar, once Hagar was pregnant, Hagar began to despise her, and there was tension between the two of them. So the question is this. Can you relate to her today? Has life not worked out the way that you had hoped? Are you disappointed in the direction of something in your life today? Are you uh, living today wondering if it just doesn't come down, um, there must be something wrong with me, just comes down to, hey, there's something wrong with me? Uh, has hardship of life sometimes overwhelmed you? And God says the words here, submit, submit, submit unto your husband. Submit in your life unto me, he's saying. At this lowlessness of her life, at the lowness of your life, can you still submit to God and your husband? It was Genesis 17, the 15th, 16th verse that God said to Abram, as for, your wife, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Sarah means princess. Sarah moved from contentious to princess for one reason. She had come to trust in the promise of her faithful God. Sarah never wavered in her belief that God would do what he said. In fact, in Hebrews 11, it says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. That is the call on you ladies today, on all of us. Can we believe God to be faithful? Can we believe God to be faithful? It is the promise of God. In fact, in Galatians um, 4, it talks about the fact that Sarah represents the promise of God and um, Hagar represents the promise of, or represents the law, Mount Sinai. And it is through the promise that we are saved. 1 John 12 is the foundation of this true submission. He says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. 
Peter tells us here that faith to believe the promises of God is the important in the midst of enduring hard circumstances. It is not by husband's will. It is not by us trying harder. It is by the fact that it is God's will and by the fact that he gave us the right to become children of God. If through Jesus Christ you have the right to be children of God, not by natural descent, human decision, by any um, uh, level of education that you have, have understood this, but that you understand you're born of God's will because of Jesus Christ alone, it becomes the foundation that promise becomes the foundation to enduring hard circumstances. It says here that you are her daughter. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. First thing is do what's right. You understand revenge, don't you? You understand that it's our sinful nature's response um, to return evil with evil and that we actually feel good about it in the flesh. But it is exactly opposite of what God is calling you to do. Have you ever uh, found yourself uh, wanting or actually doing almost the same thing that somebody has done to you to hurt them back? That's the whole point of what he's talking about here. Doing what right is right is this. Hebrew, or, um, Romans 12, 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Not so that you fit in with everyone, but because doing what's right is the fact that the Spirit of God is more powerful in your heart than the spirit of evil that's trying to overtake you. In verse 21 of that chapter, uh, Romans 12, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The endurance of submission in the midst of earthly husbands who are living out evil decisions is to keep your eyes on Jesus, the husband who is righteous and who is always good. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It will keep you... See, what, what you're doing is you're not letting evil draw you into its clutches by becoming evil yourself. What you're doing is you're holding on to the integrity of the Holy Spirit within your heart, being the woman God called you to be, even when evil's being done to you. And in the midst of that, God is the husband who will protect you, is the husband who will love you. So do what is right. Do what is right. Second, it says that not giving way to fear. Fear is the feeling of pending danger and the absence of protection. It is the belief that you are trapped in the presence of evil with no recourse of being saved. It is a lie. The Bible says that there is no fear in love, but that perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Joshua told the people who had wigged out the first time going into the, into the um, promised land, do not be afraid, be strong and courageous for one reason. The Lord says, I will be with you. I will be with you. It is in the presence of God that you can stand up, do the right thing, even when wrong is all around you. In fact, I had a conversation with a woman this, this week. And she was talking about her, um, uh, the brokenness of the relationship with her uh, boyfriend. And uh, um, 
And she turned around and did the same thing he did. And she said, I felt like I was justified. He did it to me. I'm going to do it too. You do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let your, I know there are people even amongst us right now, you're acting out in evil ways. One reason, because at some point in time, in some instances, not all, but in some instances, you had evil done to you, and so you're, your life is recoiling off of that evil that was done to you, and you're living it out. You're living it out. I hope someday God will bring her here and allow her to give her testimony to us. She will blow us away. Blow us away. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. I will be with you, the Lord said. Did Sarah change because the, from contentious to princess because all her earthly circumstances changed? Absolutely not. Abraham, after... After she turned to Sarah, Abraham again with King Abimelech did a deceitful thing by saying, this is my sister. Some of the same earthly things happen. Remember she laughed when she told she was going to be pregnant in a year? She laughed at it. Not because she didn't believe, but because she looked at her body and said, my womb's dead. There's no way. Sometimes in God's promises, the thing that we struggle with is believing that he can supernaturally do something that in our eyes looks like it's not ever going to happen. It's not going to happen, but it can. And that was at, listen to me, that's like taking and saying, hey, Muggs, you're going to have a baby this year. (laughs) Yes! What do you think, Muggs? You believe that? (laughs) Does that look possible? What you laughing about, Russ? What are you laughing about, boy? But yes, but that's our God. What's impossible for man is possible for God. It's possible. It was 127 years uh, old when she passed away. But in the midst of all this, God was faithful. Isaac was born. Sarah became the mother over the kings of the people. And if you here today are, um, are a believer, Abraham is your, your spiritual father, and Sarah is your spiritual mother. So the move from con- contentious to princess is not the change of your circumstances, but, but the focus of your life. Paul said to Timothy in, chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, Timothy, he said, about enduring through difficult times, he says this. He says, remember the gospel. Jesus, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. Never forget that. It is proof that he was human and proof that he's God. As a believer, you will endure hardship if you do. And then Paul said this to Timothy. And I think it's a great way to close this out. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has elected. If we endure as Christians, especially you women, in the midst of hard circumstances, if you continue to walk forward and don't you give up, no matter how your circumstances try to hold back on you, if you will continue to walk forward God promises you that he will be faithful to be your deliverer, that he, our strength and our hope is found in him, and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Ever. Ever.
That's his promise to you today. So trust him. Maybe today God is moving a contentious woman into a princess who has learned to trust him, who has learned to be um, quiet and gentle in spirit, who is learning to be a child of God for the first time.